This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the United States Women's National Team Hour alongside former United States Women's National Team midfielder Lori Lindsay. I am Lisa Roman, your host. Lori, how are you? I am great. How are you? It's good to be here. I'm pumped about this uh, new segment we're starting and um, we're basically down the street from one another in Philly. So I know, but yet we're still doing this virtually. We'll get, we'll get an in-session U.S. Women's National Team hour soon. But first one, you know, we're in our own homes, in our own studios here. We're keeping it simple for now. But the United States Women's National Team is a big deal. And we chat about it off mic all the time. The world is talking about it. So we decided at Attacking Third to have a dedicated discussion about the U.S. Women's National Team right here on the Attacking Third YouTube channel. So Lori and I are going to be hanging out every Monday afternoon to talk all things U.S. Women's National Team. So join us live on youtube.com slash attacking third. Join the conversation in our YouTube chat and you can listen to all of our U.S. Women's National Team hour shows on the Attacking Third podcast. Download, follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all the places that you are listening to your podcasts. So it's our first episode. We're just diving in a a little overview. We're going to get to know Lori a little bit because she'll be here every (laughs) week with us chatting. She's been on the show many, many times, but we've never really had her on as like a guest interview. She's always just been an analyst. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the evolution of the women's national team roster and aging out some of the players, getting in some young rookies and what it should look like heading into the World Cup year of 2023 and also the Challenge Cup, the NWSL Challenge Cup, which players are standing out. But Lori, you mentioned we're down the street from each other. How's it going? Have you been watching soccer? Are you are you still inundated with the women's national team? How's it going? It's it's going really well, except for like the snowstorm we're having outside when we had seven degree weather a couple weeks ago. So I'm very confused on the weather. But outside of that, um, love and life. Um, yes, I have been watching so much soccer. Obviously, the NWSL um, about to start its third week, it's midweek games. So I've just been diving into that and checking out. Um, a lot of the players in particular um, who's performing well, what teams look good early on, even though only a few games. So I love talking soccer. I love hanging out with you, Lee. So I'm excited about this. I know. And and now you get to be a namestay and we love to do this and we love our fans and the people that join in. And because of that, with Lori here, we have a $100 Paramount Plus subscription to give away during today's live episode. Lori's pumped for it. And we (laughs) want anyone that is here to be able to win this. So if you have Paramount Plus, you can watch Serie A, Champions League, the NWSL matches. And to win this $100 Paramount Plus subscription, all you need to do is like this video and then drop your Twitter or your Instagram handle in the live chat. Don't 
put your at symbol. So mine would be just be L Roman 32 in the chat. Don't include the at sign. And we will pick a winner for the $100 Paramount Plus gift card. We will send you a DM and you get to watch NWSL all season long. Let's get into this. So we've had Lori on a number of times, uh, but she's a pro. She's an analyst. So we need to find out more about Lori. She played at UVA. She was Virginia's first ever ACC player of the year. And then she went professional and she played in the W League, the WUSA, the WPS and the NWSL. And she had a fantastic U.S. women's national team career. And that's really what we're here to get your expertise <laughs> on, Lori, let's be real. So World Cup, Olympics, all of the things, you were a central midfielder. Tell us about that. You were a pro. Did you always want to be a pro? Did you always want to be on the women's national team? How did this come about for you? Yeah, well, thanks for the intro. And if, let me know if you want to keep going. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Led the no. team in assists in, in 2010 <laughs> or seven assists. Um, I keep going, Lori. I will be your hype woman. Uh, awesome. I love it. This is why this is going to be so fun every Monday. So, um, yes, I did. To answer your question, um, like, frankly, is I did always want to be a pro. I think early on, um, I have a brother that's a couple years older than me, Chris, and we're close enough in age that my dad was like, listen, you both are going to do whatever, um, whatever Chris is going to do, you're going to do Lori, because it's going to be easy for me to chuck both of you around. So early on, we got into soccer in Indiana and then I, I quickly fell in love with it. Um, and I found out that I had some, some skill and some gift, um, at playing and I played with a lot of boys teams, but uh, to speed up the story, 1990, <laughs> I, we don't need to go through my whole it's time. It's only an hour show. It's only an hour <laughs> show. It's an hour of me telling you about my background, okay? Um, but uh, yeah, 91 uh, at that time, I'm going to date myself, but we had VHSs and my dad recorded a lot of the 91 Women's World Cup games that he could find. But then also he bought me a highlight tape of that 91 Women's World Cup team. And we also were... Um, yearly subscribers to Soccer America and they gave you all the news. So I'd see all these pictures of like Julie Foudy, Mia Hamm, all these players like lifting up the trophy and they won. And like, I fell in love with that team right then and then continued on to just continue to follow them. And, you know, at that point in time, at least there wasn't any pro leagues or any sight mm -hmm. of any pro leagues, especially on, for women. So the, the top goal was the U S women's national team. So that was always my goal. And, uh, played on a lot of youth national teams, but yeah, as you said, um, uh, center midfielder love. Um, I'm like really the kind of like a passer, right? I love mm -hmm. false goals. Um, growing up, I wanted to emulate my game after him. Um, and yeah, just continue to progress. And fortunately then, um, uh, became a mainstay on the women's national team. So central midfielder, for those that don't know, and, and this is a podcast and audio medium, and this is a YouTube where you're sitting down, you're not the tallest player, Lori. <laughs> no, I'm you're not. not. You're um, not. How did that change your game being a central midfielder? And can you let us in? How tall are you? Yeah, well, I um, I do have short legs. <laughs> so I have like five, five and a half, five, six, and not as short as everyone would think. But yes, like, honestly, on the women's national team, I was I was short and or shorter, I should say. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think early on, 
my game, especially as I progressed to the highest level, it was always about finding ways to not only just use athleticism, it was about how can I use my skill to continue to, to play quicker as the game uh, it developed on the women's side. How can I, um, yeah, just find ways to improve. And so even though I wasn't the tallest player and I wasn't like the fastest player, I found ways to play quickly and mm-hmm. like see the game a couple plays in advance to be able to continue to move the ball. And, and like what I would say is kind of like dictate play, right? Yeah. So that was my game. Yeah. And that's the role of a central midfielder, right? Like be that playmaker, be able to switch the point of attack and, and have really good vision of the field. And thankfully you don't really need to be tall to play soccer. We're <laughs> good at it. Luckily. Right. right. Um, so after you retired and you also became a broadcaster and an analyst, you can hear on a lot of the NWSL games. She is all over the place, college games. Do you find that as an analyst, when you're watching these games, that you kind of key in on the center mids and, and what they're doing defensively or offensively or, or no, it, just because you played that position? Oh, yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, absolutely. I, 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 one, I love the position, right? And I love how I was just talking about like dictating the play. And I, I think it's interesting to see how teams, you know, regardless of, of what game you're calling, all different teams and all different levels on their style of play. And a lot of that has to do with the midfield. Are they involved? Yeah. Are they not involved? Are teams more direct? So, of course, and I think in general, whoever's, you know, commentating your kind of eyes on what position you played. And then you're also, you know, tuning into to what's happening around them and, and the whys and why nots are of what's happening on the field. But yeah, certainly, especially with like, um, you know, just thinking of Portland at the top of my head, right? Sam Coffey is a new player from Penn State that's playing in a sixth position when she typically played more of an attacking role. So how is she fitting in not only in the defensive midfield role, it's in, um early on in her career at the next level, but um, how is she fitting into the speed of play as well? So it's a new position, it's a new level. So yeah, always tuning in and like kind of like, um, you know, keeping a close eye on some of those midfielders. Yeah, I mean, it's easier to do that. I play defense, not for the national team, but just in college. So I always find as an analyst, I'm keying in on defensively. If there's a really good defensive play, I'm going to talk about how it was really good defensively versus what the forward should have done better mm-hmm. to get around. And, and that's why at Attacking Third, we love defense because yeah. I'm always keyed in on it. It's it's so fun and interesting. So we'll learn more about you as this national awesome. team hour goes on and, and we find out more. But I think this is good insight as to your analysis of this team and everything that happens moving forward. So this is our first episode of this. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to kind of reflect on what the national team has been through in 2020. They went to Tokyo Olympics where this was a team that won bronze. They won a, a medal at the Olympics, which is needs to still be celebrated despite maybe not winning gold and the I don't know, the taint that comes with that for U.S. fans thinking that they should have. However, the huge topic of conversation around this team since that roster for Tokyo came out all the way up until the January camp that just happened in 2022. And then the She Believes Cup that happened in February of 2022. And how head coach of the team, Vlako Andonofsky, has really shifted from more of a veteran group and an older group to a younger squad that has come in giving new players different opportunities, which has always happened throughout the January camp. But on that Tokyo 2020 roster, there were players like 
Carly Lloyd, who is now retired, Megan Rapino, Becky Sauerbronn, Kristen Press, Kelly O'Hara, Alex Morgan, Alyssa Nair, all 32, 33, and older. And that average age of that squad was 30.8 in Tokyo. Ahead of the friendlies that happened in November of 2021, just last year, the average age was 26.3. We saw so many young players coming into that roster from Trinity Rodman to Tina Davidson, Kat Macario, Mallory Pugh, Sophia Smith, Ashley Sanchez. All of these players are under the age of 25. There was nine that were 25 or younger, including goalkeeper Casey Murphy, who is 25 years old. So I want to ask you, Lori, When you kind of look at the roster that was sent to Tokyo and that won bronze at the Olympics and their average age of 30.8, did that change how they competed? And and, uh, like, why did Vlaco bring such an older veteran group to Tokyo? (laughs) Yeah, well, I think it's important to step back. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, in 2019, won the World Cup. And then COVID hit, right? And they're working, this team was working to become the first team to go back to back from a World Cup win to a, and also Olympic win, right? Which has never been, has never happened in the history of like women, women's national team. And so then when you add that, and then you add the COVID year, a lot of those players that you just mentioned, some of the veteran players like Carly Lloyd, Megan Rapinoe, Alex Morgan, who had such, Kristen Press, who had such a, um, impact on winning the World Cup also then had an extra year to be able to become injury free, heal up essentially, and then get themselves ready for um, the Olympics. So I think really, if you're looking at the roster and something that Vlako Ananasi talked about too, he, he chose a team that he felt um, had a really good mix of like veteran players and a few young players that um, he felt like were um, competing the best um, at that time for the Olympic games. Now, I also think it shows that first of all, one reason why it's never happened is because it's really difficult to win back to back, right? Even if yeah. you're having that gap year. And also there's a lot of luck involved. And also it was Vlatko Anagnoski's very first tournament. So there's so many pieces that go into outside of just like veteran players or not. Plus you've shrunk the roster from 23 to, to 18. That's a massive, whether it doesn't seem like very much, but five players released that you have to, um, even if you're just taking the exact same team from year to year, it's five players you have to cut. That's a ton. So, um, you know, I think there's some, there's, there's nuance to this conversation. Um, But now then, and then going forward, right. Then now, because we had that COVID year between the world cup and Olympics, typically you would have a little bit of a longer stretch between the Olympics and the next world cup. But now that's condensed, right. To like, okay, we, now we need to see if we didn't, we didn't win gold, you know, it wasn't the best tournament, but still, despite all the conditions of no fans in Tokyo and they not playing the best soccer. And, you know, I think some would say like not the best performance that Mm-hmm. anybody's seen against Sweden for sure I, I think that rocked the team right and to then be able to regroup and come out on with a bronze mm-hmm. in the Olympics um speaks to kind of the mentality and the that fighting um culture on the team to at least get something right yeah and, completely Completely. And because of that, I mean, you mentioned having the quick turnaround from the World Cup to the Olympics initially and then the COVID year and you couldn't bring anyone into camps and you couldn't mold these younger players like Sophia Smith and Ashley Sanchez that now have had opportunities with Vlaco. And when you think back to Tokyo, 
um, it was really hot. They were quick turnaround <laughs> days. Like there was a lot of factors coming into those matches and player recovery and and things like that. Do you and like now that you've seen the younger generation come through, whether it's Rodman, Sanchez, Davidson, Fox, Alana Cook, Mal Pugh, now that you've seen them play and compete, what do you think would have happened if like he did bring them to Tokyo? Like, would that have made a difference or would it like worse? Well, I think, you know, that's the million dollar question, right? Yeah. Because, and that's what, you know, I think that everyone has to keep in mind is that like, there's a huge difference between playing at the NWSL level and playing on the national team. It is the smallest little percentage um, competing at the national team level, right? And if you go to a national team camp and watch the team train, that's going to look very different um, than at an NWSL level. It just is, right? You bring every, the top three players on every team in the NWSL and then they're in the same environment. Then that looks mm -hmm. like, how can you separate yourself? How can you make yourself um, just that much more reliable or um, secure in the position that you're bringing, right? And that and that's a lot, I mean, because there's not much that's changing. So that's that's the million dollar question is like, how how do these young players compete at the next level consistently? Because that's why we're having this yes. conversation in yes. general is because Megan Rapino, Kristen Press, uh, Becky Sabrin, all the players that we've already named have shown over the years at the highest level, they can compete and not just compete. They can thrive. They get it done in clutch moments. And that's what we're still waiting to see from some of these younger players. Because it's also a big difference to compete at a, a friendly or the She Believes Cup than it yeah. is five months um, out of a World Cup or Olympics. And you're vying for the spot. You're trying to stay healthy. You're trying to play consistently, but consistently at the top level. So it, that looks... That is the question, right? And so we can always look back and be like, okay, if these players... I think no matter what, to answer your question, it was going to be difficult for anybody because you're there for an extended period of time. The U.S. was the very first national team to get mm -hmm. to the Olympics. You're there without fans. I mean, the World Cup, and I can speak to experience in the Olympics, it is so much about atmosphere. It is so fun. You're in your hotel. You're in your bubble. But then you're able to go out, mix with the fans, all of that. And if you don't have that, and then the first game that you're playing against is Sweden – and then you have to go back to your hotel room in heat, as you mentioned. And there's no fans. And just ruminate about what just happened. Then it is like, it's yeah. a whole different ball game. Right? There's no Olympic village. There was nothing exactly. besides the game that these players could focus on. And yeah. I think that as a player, sometimes that can be really beneficial, but also that can really hurt you mental mentally because yeah. you don't have your family around you have your one roommate that you're spending all of your time with and you're eating the same kinds of meals going in and out of this. It's a big mental toll, I think, that a lot of people don't realize Tokyo played on these players. And having veterans that have already done this at the biggest stage and with the fans, did that transition maybe was a little bit easier than someone who had never been there and now they have to kind of step up to the plate without all of the fanfare around them to do that. So having the veterans almost a leg up in that situation, at least for Vlako Andonovsky, he doesn't have to worry about making sure that these young players are doing okay mentally because they have they've the veterans had been there. Yeah. And they had experienced it all. 
Yeah, 100%. And to that point, too, I think it's the same as a coach, right? As Vlatko, mm-hmm. that's his first, as we mentioned, that's his first major tournament. That's that's not easy on a team that is expected to win every single game, regardless of us all knowing that the rest of the world has been catching up, right? The women's yeah, game is just yeah, growing. It it's is. awesome. It so, is. And it is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is- a good thing that the rest of the world is catching up. So we talked about Tokyo a little bit. And now um, in those November friendlies that we did see younger players come in that were superstars in the NWSL. I mean, Trinity Rodman, 2021 NWSL rookie, she got the call up and she was able to showcase her skills a little bit for Black Oendonovsky. When you look at the younger group that had come in, this is a question from Sleepy Repeat in our chat. They said, who will be the face of the U.S. women's national team? going forward. Ooh, I like this. Well, I, you know, I think those things start to kind of, um, grab hold as, as we go on and see, but, you know, right now, just thinking about performances, you know, Mal Pugh is already, um, you know, she's had some ups and downs to her career and being at the 2019 world cup and then being off for a while, um, with some injuries and I think some mental health stuff. Um, and now back in the mix, really good start. So I could see Mal Pugh, um, I very much can see Sophia Smith and no doubt, I think Trinity Rodman Mm -hmm. um, with the season that she had now, how does that look in terms of her getting called in consistently with the national team? Time will tell, but uh, her ceiling is extremely high. All three of them. Right. And so I can see any one of them or all three of them being the next face essentially of um, this U.S. women's national team. I think it's a good point. Trinity Rodman, 19 years old, Mallory Pugh, 23 years old and already been to a World Cup. And then Sophia Smith, 21 years old. These are incredibly young athletes still. So the fact that Mallory Pugh has already been in that space and then lost, she was not called in for a while due to a number of different things. And now she's back in there. I think that gives her a leg up, especially over Rodman and and Smith because she's already experienced that and she's already done that. Now, when you look at, It's interesting. This is an interesting question from Sleep Eat Repeat because they said the face of this team. Now, when you look at like the roster for the national team that went to Tokyo, I would consider Becky Sauerbronn, the center back, a player that was one of the most consistent on that roster. But she's not the face of it because she's scoring zero goals. Becky will get (laughs) you there. But it's interesting to be the face. When you look at some of the new players that have come in through the January camp or the November friendlies or even the She Believes Cup, is there a player that you are seeing a lot of consistency from or someone that you think has already solidified their spot and and there's no way that they drop out unless something drastic happens so not necessarily the face where they're scoring all the goals and they're on the covers of the magazines and things like that yeah uh you know i like this question a lot and i'll go away from the attackers and go to the defense and you're speaking about uh, becky sauerbrunn but i would look to alana cook and tiana davidson Mm -hmm. i think they are starting to solidify a really good partnership um as the two center backs um they're both doing really well in in nwsl i mean that that is the proving ground right like this is this is showing we're bringing all these young players up but that is what this league is supposed to do which is provide a consistent and competitive training environment so these players it is getting a little bit easier for them to make that step but alana cook scores a goal this past weekend um as a center back um tina davidson as i mentioned those two players i think um have been fairly consistent Mm -hmm. in terms of um 
like I said, a partnership, but also getting a lot of minutes in these last um, handful of friendlies under Vlaco. And obviously Tierna had been in the, nine, uh, the 1999 World Cup. No, 2019. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you wasn't even alive. <laughs> Listen, let's just go all the way back to the history of the women's national team. Oh, yeah. uh, the 2019 World Cup. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm looking toward those two, two players. I think that we could see them for a long time to come. Yeah, and that's a position that, I mean, yeah, Tierna Davidson was probably not alive in 1999. Not good at math. She's only 23 years old. So I'm going to go with no on that, that one. Awesome. But Welcome the to the back, show. Yeah, we, we get our years confused, our centuries confused, but it's all right. We're still here. Um, when you look at the center backs, though, Becky Sauerbrunn, a player 36 years old, that had been in that center back starting position. So the fact that Vlako and Anofsky now has Tierna Davidson and Alana Cook, two players that were both center backs at Stanford together. So mm-hmm. they have that experience playing together and they're really young, already being consistent in that role. Could we see them there for the next 10 years? Oh, I definitely think so. I mean, I look at that's, Sarah, like, a, right? that's right? like a golden boot right there for Vlako and Anofsky. Like he just hit the jackpot with these two center backs. If they can make that transition and stay consistent, both stay healthy, which is, I think, a huge thing, knock on wood, mm-hmm. because if they can do that and and solidify their spots right there, he can then start to build the team out around those two based on the players that he has and, and everything going into it. But the fact that they're so young and they still have Becky Sauerbrunn playing that they can lean into and learn off of, that's huge. That's mm-hmm. huge for this team and for Vlako Andonofsky moving yeah. forward. Well, and that's why I think, you know, the the veteran versus youth players is kind of a funny conversation because mm-hmm. um, I think these these uh, veteran players are such a necessity because, yes, right now, Becky Sauerbrunn coming back from recovering from a knee injury, but certainly no doubt Blackwell Ananasi still sees um, the importance that she brings to this team as a captain, as, as somebody that um, has been a mainstay on this team, has the mental fortitude to understand what it takes to get through these tur- these tournaments and to be able to provide that. I mean, these two players, Davidson and Cook, no doubt um, are remarkable players in their own right. But to be able to have a veteran player mm-hmm. that's played in your position to help with feedback and understanding of what um, these tournaments are like is invaluable. And I, I think of that as the same as the, the, a lot of the attackers as well. When you think about Megan Rapino, Kristen Press, they're going to drive this team forward, continue to push these young players. And I think it's needed, especially when you're going into what could potentially be the biggest women's sporting event we've ever seen next summer. Okay, so you need the veterans to lead, show the way, experience. Also, they're talented as heck to be able to do that. But you also have young players that need experience. How do you balance that? I mean, there's only so much so many players you can bring in. There's a roster cap that you can bring in for these camps. How do you find, how does Vlaco find that balance? I mean, like which players do you pick and choose to bring in positionally or experience wise? Mm-hmm. Well, I think some of it will happen just organically as we're okay. seeing, right? Like a Megan Rapinoe, you know, has been injured um, mm-hmm. and hasn't played in these first couple NWSL games. So you're going to see some of that throughout players are going to pick up some niggles and they're not going to be able to be called in. So that organically will just take place. And that has throughout the mm-hmm. history of sport, right? So that will be, and so some of those decisions will be made for him from camp to camp. And then others will be, you know, there's going to be players like a uh, Trini Rodman who had an excellent season. You cannot deny that. Um, Ashley Sanchez, 
excellent season last year, right? Sophia Smith, goodness, how, how she started this year. And mm-hmm. then also what it meant to, for her to get um, that experience for a solid year with Portland last year. So it will just start to kind of, I think, flush itself out in terms of who's playing really well, who has shown historically that they have done well and that you want to continue. And then, you know, potentially where you're looking to drive some competitive advantage um, in in what spot, right? And that also goes to like, what spot or do you really want to shore up more? I mean, there's been a lot of talk about the outside back position, right? Crystal Dunn will be coming back um, from her pregnancy sooner than later, but that has been a question. Emily Fox goes down with an injury. So now who, who are you looking towards, right? So some of that will be shifting. Some of that will be trying out new players, but ultimately I think it's exactly what we're seeing right now with a condensed schedule qualifiers coming up in July. You have to give these players experience because you are going to have it. In my honest opinion, you have to fold in some of these um, veteran players into the mix. Maybe not all of them, but some of them for that communication between the youth and the coach and also just the experience of what it means to like kind of like grind out a, a qualification. Yeah, I think so much of this team is the legacy of mm-hmm. it. And as yeah. uh, as we tu- as we touched on with Tierna Davidson, <laughs> a lot of these players didn't watch the 99 World Cup, which is was a huge pivotal turning moment in the national team history and, and the career and the future of this team and they weren't alive for this. So mm-hmm. it's almost that point of the legacy that needs to be passed down. It, it this becomes like a folklore kind of situation yeah. where it needs to be word of mouth. It needs to be these players sharing their personal experiences with the younger ones in order to move forward with this team and continue the legacy, continue mm-hmm. to be a powerhouse in the world of women's football on this global stage and not let other teams catch up to them as much that have experience and the young players. Yeah. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, too, when you think about legacy, you know, that's not just on the field as well. I mean, one of the reasons why this team is is fun to watch, but it's like the driving force for global women's sport, really, right, and women's soccer, is because of everything that's been happened off the field as well. And so when you think about the faces of the U.S. Women's National Team, you do think about Megan Rapino because of how outspoken she is. So it'll be interesting to see which players not only develop that confidence consistently on the field, but then use that for the greater good off as well, because I think those two with this team go hand in hand quite a bit. Laura, we talked about your history on the team, your position, your height, all of the great things. As a central midfielder, when you look at the veterans and the the younger players, the new generation that has come in for Black Wendonofsky, whether it was in Tokyo throughout the January camp, the She Believes Cup. When you look at the midfield core and you now have all players are healthy. I'm going to throw this curveball at you. All players are healthy. Who do you want him to bring into the next camp that can learn from each other and grow um, in that midfield unit solely? Yeah. So do like, let's say they're playing a four, three, three. Do you want me to pick three players then? Well, no, like yeah. you can pick a handful of players because in a camp, there's not just three, but yeah, we'll go with a four, three, three positionally. Cause that'll help you also with like yeah. players types, but are, is there a certain mix of veterans and younger generation that you want to come in that think could really benefit from playing with each other? Yeah, certainly. I would, you know, two players that I actually have three that come right to mind that I'd be interested in, which would be a, a combination of Andy Sullivan, Sam Mewis, and uh, um, Ashley Sanchez. And I'd be really curious, and it'd be a, 
you know, Andy would be sitting in the six, but there would be a bit more rotation um, with the way they play, especially with Sam Mewis being able to drop in and help play make um, and like kind of open up the game with her passing range. But I really am like curious about the ceiling of Ashley Sanchez, especially the start of this season. I mm-hmm. thought last year was this like kind of consistent, like ramp up for her. Um, the only, the my only question mark about Sanchez though is um, her production rate. Getting yeah. more assists, you know, finding finding the back of the net because she does everything that you don't typically see um, from some of um, midfielders. I think anywhere really. I think there's some special qualities about her, um, but can she add to that? Right. So, mm-hmm. but those those are the three that I've been thinking about quite a bit, and they have just enough differences in their game that it gives um, enough of a mix to the style of play to be able to keep the ball moving. Um, but then also to like unlock defenses by like little clever uh, movement or uh, dummies or however on top of the box. So, and that's a really realistic trio that we could see uh, as early as in the next few weeks during the FIFA window in, in yep. April that comes about. What about Kat Macario? She plays for Lyon. Yep. We've seen her in the central midfield position. We've seen her up top. Where does she fit in when you look at this team? This yeah. is a question from Kelly too. Kelly, thanks for this one. She asked about Kat Macario. I'm yeah. going a little deeper. Where do you think this one fits in? Yeah. Hi Kelly. Um, so I mean, goodness, Kat Macario, like, player in on the field, right? Like she's um she's and what a season she's having with Leon mm-hmm. right now. And I think in this last window during the She Believes Cup, goodness, um just on fire. So, you know, I I think it'd be i I'd be curious. I think it depends on who's playing underneath her. She can play that withdrawn nine or mm-hmm. no doubt can play that withdrawn nine. Um and then have a bit a little bit of flexibility to be able to drop deep and for other players to get in behind. However, I still think as her game develops I think that it'd be interesting to see her on a wing because if she can get isolated and whip balls in, cut inside, and depending on who's playing in the outside back position on which side she'd be, she would be able to be of more of an inverted winger and allow for the outside back to get higher up the field. And then you can almost have like a three back at times, especially when you have teams that, um, potentially not necessarily low block, but, you know, are going to sit back a little bit more, on the U S and I think they would allow her to be able to come off and, um, you know, pose some issues from the wing. Yeah. This uh, huge player in Kat Macario uh, playing in the quarterfinals coming up this week. We have a lot more to talk about NWSL in the challenge cup and national team players that are all to come. We're going to do it right after this quick break. Robert half research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
Welcome back to the U.S. Women's National Team Hour. A quick little break there for anyone watching live on YouTube. As a reminder, drop your handle in the chat and follow us on Twitter at Attacking Third. We're here with Lori Lindsay and I'm Lisa Roman talking all things Women's National Team. Now, Lori, this is a live that we're going live on YouTube right now. And there is just some news dropped by the Chicago Red Stars that I want to talk about with you. Tierna Davidson, center back, she was not playing last weekend in the game for Chicago in the NWSL Challenge Cup. Um, she was out. Center back Kayla Sharples slotted in for her. It was just announced that Tierna Davidson has torn her ACL. Very devastating to hear from Davidson. We just talked about her as being one of the new younger generations for Black Hoendonofsky and this women's national team. And she was a, a namesake player, right? One of the most consistent ones that we just talked about, along with Alana Cook in that center back position. These are some of the really tough decisions that happen. And now Vlako Andonovsky has choices made for him. But how devastating. Tierna Davidson torn ACL right in the middle of the Challenge Cup. Um, uh, initial thoughts on this? I don't know if I just broke this for you or if you saw it yeah. elsewhere before I said that. <laughs> no, I, as I was scrolling down, I was like, wait, what? Looking at the comments. Um, yeah, that's, um, you know, it's it's always tough to hear about these players because the amount of work, I mean, everybody knows that, that there's work that goes into us, but the amount of work behind the scenes that these players are putting in, um, the amount of games players are playing and to have a player go down the, on the, on the bright spot is, um, you know, the recovery is getting quicker and there is plenty of time before the world mm -hmm. cup for Tierna to be able to get back get minutes in and stuff. It doesn't make this any easier, but this is, that's really tough, especially for a player yeah. that is, is really, you know, important to Chicago, but also to the women's national team. I know this is truly devastating for Tierna Davidson, speedy recoveries to her, uh, of course, for Chicago. She's in good hands there in Chicago with their training staff. Um, transitioning to the challenge cup overall uh, for the NWSL, there are, Majority of the players that have been called into women's national team camps play in the NWSL. Black Wendonofsky, a former coach, he's a big fan of the league. It's only really Lindsey Horan right now and Katerina Macario that are not in the NWSL. And Tobin Heath, excuse me, as well. Kristen Press is back. She's playing for Angel City in L.A. Uh, but... Lindsay Horan, Kat Macario, they're playing for Lyon. And then Tobin Heath, she's with Arsenal overseas. But this Challenge Cup, it's underway. We have mid-match day three this week, midday matches on Wednesday. Who are you watching? I mean, there's a lot of clubs that have a lot of players. Washington, what, they have seven players that have been called into U.S. Women's National Team camp. We've talked a lot about them, but which women's national team players have stood out to you throughout this Challenge Cup, Lori? Yeah, I mean, I say poor Washington. They knew it was coming. And, <laughs> you know, credit to their success last year. But goodness, you're just getting decimated with your with your team. But, um, you know, I have I've had four four players that I was been thinking about for this. Um, and Ashley Sanchez is one of them. However, I do think Ashley Sanchez still and like I will say this because I, I do believe she has it in her. But production for me is is one thing like where the assist, where the goals that has to be something in terms of her positioning. But um, I think she's been lights out already um, in the, in the first two games of the Challenge Cup for Washington. Mm -hmm. And then the other three that I have are uh, a few players that we've already obviously touched on, though, which is uh, Mal Pugh, uh for Chicago. Uh, Kristen Press for Angel City. Great to have her back in the league. And then Sophia Smith. And 
you know, really the top two though would be Sophia Smith and, and Kristen Press because I do not think that Portland plays the way that they're playing right now without Sophia Smith in that position. Her ability to like bring move defenses, pop just like she is everywhere. She's active. She brings out the best, I feel like, in Christine Sinclair and vice versa. And and then Kristen Press. I mean, goodness, like she's been just taking some names out there and making players better, right? Tyler Lucy is a better player because of Kristen Press, right? Like she's putting herself, Savannah McCaskill, despite the red card, you know, a better player because of Kristen Press. So I'm thinking these four players, Mal Pugh though too, I didn't give her enough love because I do think this is like one of the best starts. But the players around them are better because of the way that they're playing, their dynamism out in the field, and they're, they're scoring goals. Okay, so Kristen Press hasn't scored yet, Lori. Well, okay. I have to call you out on this. <laughs> no, that's Ashley Sanchez. So sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, but like... Listen. And Sophia Smith probably could have scored like three, four yeah. in that opening match for Portland. She had two that were near, near misses. She did get one uh, last weekend, though. But yeah. okay, Press hasn't scored yet, but she is making, I totally agree, making Savannah McCaskill look better, making Tyler Lucy look way better at this is a player that I think was not showing as much last year and now is incredible. She just scored for Angel City for them. Um, but yeah, Kristen Press hasn't scored yet. Okay, well just wait. And then, <laughs> but second of all, it's more about I think about how they're showing up and the tension that they're drawing. But a fair mm-hmm. point. I'm not gonna argue that because I can't because yeah. there's yeah. there's no goals to argue. So you're right. However, um I do believe that these players can score goals and, and no doubt. I think Sophia Smith um could have more goals underneath her belt, but I this is we're seeing Sophia Smith last year. We saw a glimpse of this and she was like one of those players that really stepped up mm-hmm. when other players were away during the Olympic um, window and she gained a ton of confidence. And now it feels like Sophia Smith is coming into her own where she's like, feels like this Portland team. She has, this is her, part of her team, right? Or sh- this is her team. Like she's showing up in a more confident way um, than she even did last year. I agree. I think that it's also her time with the national team has helped her as well. But the players she's playing alongside with in Portland, and I also think Rain Wilkinson, the new head coach for Portland Thorns, is also putting Sophia in really good positions to succeed playing that double forward along with Canadian international Christine Sinclair. That duo of – talk about a veteran younger generation duo between Sinclair and Sophia Smith. That is dynamic right there. How much learning and communication do you think is happening off the pitch between those two? Because it's – Evident, I think in the first two matches from Portland, you can just see how well they're reading off of each other and and how much Smith has grown already into that role. She's her first in- instincts when she gets the ball is let's go to goal. I'm going to score a goal. And oh, yeah. because of that, it makes her so much more of a threat defensively. If I know that every time the player I'm marking is going to go to goal, I'm terrified. I don't want them to do that because they're going to score. It's unfair. It's like, stop doing whatever you're doing. Yeah, no. And I think, you know, there's no better veteran to be learning from than a Christine Sinclair, because I think the, you know, from an attacking standpoint, Christine Sinclair, what outside of her ability to score goals, 
what she's done. She has been able to reinvent herself time and time again, just with her savviness, her ability to think the game or tactical awareness, because she started as a number nine and Mm -hmm. she was like a true nine at the beginning of her career. And then has dropped to a 10. She's more of a false nine in that two front now um, with Portland playing in the three back. So her ability though, to be able to reinvent herself and continue to like, be amazing in this transitional league. (laughs) I had to like get on my hands and knees, like, but she can. And so I think in some ways it's like, it's the best duo to your point, because you have a a Sophia Smith that's direct, that wants to go. She wants to hunt for the ball. She wants it. She wants Mm -hmm. to get isolated and run at players. And I don't necessarily think that Sinclair wants to do that anymore. She wants to combine. She wants to find space to be able to, pass, link up, then put herself in the best positions to be able to pick up any of the the loose balls to put for like one-time finishes, yeah. which we saw two weekends ago. So it is, it is um, right now probably the best um, front line in the NWSL right off the bat. And there's and only two of them and they're only playing with two, which you know, and you're only two games in. So this is all hilarious and, and we'll see in like two months time what's happening. But I mean, I do want to touch on one other thing that you said, which I think is so important. I actually had it in my notes because with all of this talking about the youth, um, you had mentioned about Sophia Smith going into camp and getting that confidence with the national team. Mm-hmm. That cannot be overstated because I think that's why we're seeing with Ashley Sanchez. She gets yes. Um, November. She's playing in the She Believes Cup. And I cannot tell you, like, as a player um, and somebody who'd been in with an, uh, played on the national team, that experience alone is huge because it's that level that I talked about from the NWSL to the national team. It is a, it is a s- steep difference, right? Whether people want to believe it or agree with it or not, it is cutthroat. It is the culture of the team. You are training hard. It is the smallest little details. But when you taste that, then you bring it back to your your national, your NWSL team, and then it just drives you forward. Or it doesn't, and then you don't ever go back. But, um, but if it does, and you get that taste of it, then you're like, hell yeah, this is how I need to train day in and day out. And that could be a 10% increase, which over a course of a season is massive in your development and confidence and and where you're going. And when you're 21, like Sophia Smith, if you get a 10% increase at age 21 and you get called in year after year to the national camp, that increase percentage wise is fantastic. We talked about Washington Spirit having seven players that have been called into national team camps and acting head coach of Washington Spirit right now, Chris Ward, he talked about this quote national team rub that he saw from players like Ashley Sanchez, Trey yeah. <laughs> Rodman, Ashley Hatch. And in talking with him about this, he, he said, it's the national team rub. I don't know what it is. It's like they went to a better restaurant and they had good food and now they can't go back to McDonald's. And that's, it's what we're seeing. That's exactly what it is. I even think Mallory Pugh is one that you mentioned as one of her players. She's one of my players in this challenge cup for NWSL that is truly showing her strides and everything that she can do on the pitch. And this year for Chicago, she doesn't have Clea Watt on the side of her. Clea Watt is out, especially for this challenge cup. So Mallory Pugh is really having to take on a lot of the offensive attacking burden, I'm going to say, or the pressure for Chicago on herself. And she's doing it. She scored a brace in the opening match for Chicago and her presence on the field and on the ball is elevated. Now she's a player that's been in and out of the national team camp, but I think most recently 
she's learned in, in her a little bit older experience and maybe being with some of these veterans and seeing how they take care of their body, how they take care of their mental health, what they're eating, how they're in the training room and, and recovering and preparing for games. I think that we've seen Mallory Pugh take those steps forward in that aspect of her game, not necessarily on the pitch and, and scoring goals, which is what she's doing, but in taking care of her body, because that's been a huge factor for Pew in, in suffering a number of inner and injuries over her career and her time in and out of the national team. So Mallory Pew is a player that I've seen the growth from, and I think she can continue to get better continue to be that player for Chicago that they lean on. And that's, that's like a big difference between Sophia Smith and Mallory Pew because Mallory Pew it falls on her shoulders to score the goals for Chicago. Whereas at Portland Thorns, Sophia Smith, I don't think she has that pressure to score all of the goals. She has players alongside her, like Christine Sinclair that can also score goals and, and pick up, um, almost pick up that weight that she's carrying. And I think because of that difference, it'll affect those players differently. And maybe, for the better for each one. And I think that's a personal preference. If you're one of those players that mm-hmm. doesn't feel like you have to do it all yourself and, and you can kind of be free and run with it, which I think is what we're seeing from Sophia Smith, or you're a player that likes the pressure. That's how diamonds are made under pressure. And that's where you want to go. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about that. And and to add one thing, it would be also just to see how results, because mm-hmm. then I think depending on like the culture and, and the mood of the team, how that affects overall, right? So um, I think those always weigh in as well. But yeah, I mean, Mal Pio gliding around the field right now. It's awesome to watch. She is. It's really, really fun to watch. We've had a few people in our chat commenting, which I love to see this. And also we're giving away a $100 Paramount Plus gift card. Drop your social media handles in the chat and you without the at sign and you will potentially win a $100 Paramount plus subscription. It's a pretty big deal. We're really excited about it. Um, but some of these comments and questions that have been coming in since we're talking about the NWSL, the challenge cup and the United States women's national team are some of the younger players in Emily Fox that has been called in uh, Naomi Gurma that has been called in 2022 rookie Gurma and also Jalen Howe at racing Louisville. Um, when you've seen these younger players and I think Emily Fox is an outside back for racing Louisville that has kind of solidified her spot with the national team. But do any of the these younger ones stand out to you in particular? And no one has made strides and leaps and bounds like Ashley Sanchez and, and Sophia Smith. But in what these really young first-year NWSL players can do in this league, do any of them stand out to you in particular, Lori? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I wouldn't say, I mean, outside of the ones that we've talked about. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say that anybody is like totally caught my eye. I mean, I think the big question is, is like a Trinity Rodman in the second year. I mean, how good she is now, you know, there's always a talk about what does that look like the second year? And so can she continue putting those performances together and scoring the goals? And well, no doubt, I think she can, and it'll just be about continuing to take care of her body. As we mentioned with, with, um, injury is a big part. Tierna Davidson is down right now. Yeah. So then that opens up another spot or leaves room again for Dahl Kimper to come back in. Becky Sarabran, when she gets back from her recovery. So, um, you know, not, I wouldn't say anything outside of the players that we have. Yeah. Uh, because the also the window is getting to be crunch time now. I mean, we have another, I think, two more windows, this one in um, April and then in June mm-hmm. before the qualification roster would be announced. 
I think it'll be difficult unless somebody really makes a statement as a rookie this year, or maybe it'll be tough to probably get in one of these two camps. Maybe not the June one, but. Yeah, I think it's hard because these players, they're rookies. They're also adjusting to the professional game yeah. and new coaches, right? I mean, Gurma is at San Diego. Sure. Yeah. yeah, that has Casey Stoney, who a new expansion club coming in. So there's already a different kind of light being shed on that team and San Diego and Casey Stoney and Gurma. And then when you look at Racing Louisville with Emily Fox and Jalen Howell, 2022 draft pick, they have new head coach Kim Bjorkgren in this league. So he's also adjusting to the league. There's just so many other factors that come into it that one of these players, if and when, they're really, really going to have to make a statement. I, I agree with that because they can't just it's not like they're just falling back into stride like a player like Sophia Smith, Trinity Rodman, same clubs, mm-hmm. maybe different coaches at, at Portland and Chicago. However, they have the same player personnel around them. It's almost mm-hmm. a smoother transition and they just have to focus on themselves, what they learned in the January camp, what Black Wendonofsky has told them specifically. I think that's also a big thing we see after these players leave the January camp, they get that rub from the team and they're, <laughs> Their, their game is a bit elevated, but they also play smarter. And I think that we've seen players like Trinity Rodman coming out of a national team camp and working on different things, not just run and gun that we saw Trinity Rodman do for a few months span in 2021. But now she's adding more depth to her game. She's becoming a, a multi-dimensional player in her combination play, in getting assists. And when you can see a player that grows like that mentally and, and their work rate and how they're trying to be as a player, I think that's really telling of, of what they can do. And the NWSL is a great time for these players to try different things and explore that other side of them. Yeah. No doubt. I, I'll also add one thing about the Naomi Gurma. I think mm-hmm. great point. She started off really solidly for the back line for San Diego. You know, up until the news about Tierna, I think it would have been difficult just with the depth in that center back position. But then this is what I'm talking about is like when organically things start to shift because of injuries or whatnot, then it does open up space for players. And so that is why even if you're on the cusp, it's about staying ready, being consistent with your play, because if you do, get a um, an opportunity then it's there for the taking and I wouldn't necessarily put Naomi in that mix right now if until this news and now that might bump her up to be able to get a, a look sooner than maybe I, I predicted her to yeah no that's a really good point and this is why this is pretty fun to do this YouTube live because <laughs> as this news comes in we can talk about it and that honestly shifts it because Tierna Davidson she had that position locked down and a very unfortunate for anyone that's just joining us, the Chicago Red Stars announced that center back Tierna Davidson has torn her ACL. Uh, She has been a namesake in the women's national team center back. We talked about her having a really good partnership with Alana Cook in that center back position. They both played at Stanford. And now this does potentially open up a spot for Gurma, who has done really well. And she's also playing alongside Abby Dahlkemper at San Diego, who is also a national team player that has had time under Vlako and which could provide good looks, right? Yes, which is like a great point because I will tell you, Abby Wambach, back in 1989, no, just joking, just because I got the year <laughs> <laughs> Back in like the early 2000s, Abby was drafted to the Washington Freedom at the time. 
partnered with Mia Hamm, and that was like the glue that got Abby. I mean, Abby did the work, and obviously we went on to you know, like one of the greatest goal scores of all time. So that isn't the only reason. But it was only her. because she was partnered with her. <laughs> exactly. But she learned so much from mm-hmm. Mia, and she'll she'll credit Mia to um, Mia to this day about that partnership and learning about just being professional and what it's like and just understanding the game at the next level. And that is so vital. And then that just like is actually wraps this conversation up perfectly on why the mix. And that will be, I think the toughest thing for Blacko is getting the mix, right? I mean, there's so many different stages of like, you know, world cup qualifying, getting the mix right for that in terms of veterans and young players, what, what does that look like? And then as you build closer and closer, fingers crossed that you qualify and get to the world cup. But the, the mix of the, of what the team looks like, I think is the, is most important. It is so crucial to learn from the veterans, to have those younger players in bringing their energy and their exuberance into this squad. Um, I think this is it for us, Lori. I mean, we had a really good talk. This is our first U.S. Women's National Team hour. We had so many great people joining us in the chat. Again, we're giving away a $100 Paramount Plus gift card if you drop your social media handle, Twitter or Instagram in our chat, and we'll give that away to you. We had a lot of people asking us about uh, roster predictions for the April window that's happening, uh, our wish list, who we want to see as a starting 11. Guys, we will be back every Monday with Lori to ask those questions and do that. So thank you everyone so, so much for joining us for our first U.S. Women's National Team Hour. Lori, for you, final thoughts on this, on, on the veterans, on fun facts about you, on women's national team players in the NWSL or anything else. Final thoughts? So my final thoughts is it is great to be spending an hour with you every Monday. It's great to be answering everyone's questions. Thank you for tuning in. And then also, this is just going to continue to be so much more fun as the rosters continue to roll out. We start to dive more and more. And as we get in the thick of the NWSL season and um, start to see some of the the shape of or the form that some of these players start to take. Yeah, it will be fun, Lori, and we get to chat about it and dissect it all as it comes. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. If you like this video and drop your social handle in the chat, look out for a DM from us. You could be our Paramount Plus subscription winner. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Attacking Third for more. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to us on YouTube to catch our interviews Get and get alerts for when we go live. YouTube.com slash Attacking Third. We'll be back next Monday for another U.S. Women's National Team Hour. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Have such a great day. Bye, Lori. Bye, Lisa. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found.